These days, everyone's running. But does anyone even know whether they're running to something or away from something anymore? It's been a crazy 30 years. Ever since the introduction of a ubiquitous podcast network that became all-encompassing, all of us host podcasts now. There's me, Alejandro Collini. My life isn't so great for a series of really stereotypical hacky reasons. Here I am walking down a gigantic rig. Look, there I am. Uh, I host a podcast also, and um, my podcast is more important than all of the other ones for the reason that the eye of the film is focused upon me, and apparently no other reason. I'm a classic worthless hero character, uh, but in any case, this is Toxic Podcast. Welcome to Toxic Podcast. I'm Alejandro Collini. This is my podcast that I do alone. Wouldn't wish it on anyone else, frankly, where I consume and process toxic media. Toxic media, that is a definition that I made up myself. Um, it is any form of content that, regardless of quality, is genuinely emotionally exhausting or taxing to consume. Uh, here, here we are. It's August 16th. It's a banner day for me. It's a big... It's a big, uh, it's a big anniversary of, of a terrible, terrible time in my life. Uh, I would, I would choose no better day to be, to be broadcasting, <laughs> broadcasting to you uh, about this film that I'm. Oh my God, what a, what a film I've got for you today. I'm. This is going to be the episode that really draws it all together. You know, we've been, we've been building. I've been creating, developing a wide stable of characters. I've been figuring out what my strengths are, what my many, many weaknesses are. Um, this is going to be the episode that sews it all together, makes it a nice, beautiful baseball there, major league quality baseball, and it can be pitched and, and hit and all anything else you can do with a baseball, frankly. Um, what did I, what do I want to apologize for from last week? Or do I want to keep the apologies? Th I think because I, well, I feel like every week, obviously there's the blanket apology for last week. Um, there's, I do want to talk, I just, I, if you guys want to engage with me a little bit about the pod, you're, you're always welcome to tweet at me like suggestions of, of things. Uh, I would like to know, do you guys want me to do books? Because I want to do books. I want to do books. When I did King Lear, which I know is not a book, it's a play, but I read it. It was a text. I feel the response was kind of lukewarm, and I'm not, like, I'm just sort of prepping a Mice and Men episode, and I just don't know, like, I, I think of Mice and Men as a really important toxic media artifact. The last time I read it, I cried, but I don't know if you guys want to hear me talk about a Mice and Men, so I guess let me know. Um, so this week we're talking about uh, Ready Player One. I, um, I watched Ready Player One. I was not intending on talking about it this week. I think I'm trying to figure out what what the people want. <laughs> because originally when I started this podcast, I think I had a lot of big ideas about what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I was going to originally, I think I've mentioned this before, originally my first eight episodes were all going to be about Saw films. And then I did three and I went, well, this is abusive to my audience. This is uh, not good podcasting. Um and I still, like, I still eventually aspire to maybe talk about all of the films in the Saw franchise if I can, if I can try your patience that much. But I'm realizing I need to spread it out. I've still got some sort of big um, Alejandro-centric plans for the future. Uh, um, things, that, things that are maybe more for me than prospectively for you. But I am trying to find um, toxic media artifacts that are present enough in everyone's minds, that are topical enough, that are... Um, that people are going to want to listen to. You know, I, I don't know why I'm making a big deal out of the fact that I have a podcast and I want people to listen to it. But, um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm often at a loss for what to do this week. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should do Of Mice and Men. And then I'm like, no one's going to like that. So the other night I got home from work. I just wanted to watch something. I've been, I've been trying to watch less, um, of the major sci-fi action fantasy franchises. I'm a big franchise guy. I love it when I can watch like six movies. I love a big, a big, you know, list of movies. I love the Marvel movies. I'm a huge Marvel apologist. I'm sorry. I, I know that there's like, everyone's getting kind of Marvel fatigue. I will still, I'll go to the mat. I think that the Marvel movies, I've probably said this before, have fundamentally changed the filmmaking for better or worse. And they are, in my opinion, the single most impressive feat of filmmaking since the 
invention of filmmaking. So fuck me. But uh, <laughs> so I, I've been, I've just been Googling 2018 movies and just sort of watching the like non-franchise like I watched Rampage, that movie based off of the uh, video game, and it was surprisingly good. Um, I, I would argue that's not a toxic movie. It's not, I mean, well, it's not a good movie. It was surprisingly fun. But um, the other night I put on Ready Player One, and I I don't want to, because it, what I was about to say is this movie feels toxic in a way that almost reminds me of Batman versus Superman, but it doesn't because I love Batman versus Superman. Batman versus Superman is toxic in a way that I find joyous and ecstatic and, and like celebratory of its own insanity. Ready Player One, just like everything about it bums me out and makes me mad. I'm a little bit worried. I think the movie sort of won me over by the end a little bit, and I am I thought I would be angrier than I was. I want to be careful because sometimes uh, when I wa was watching this movie, I just sort of devolved into, like, rage at the film, and I don't want to spend too much time doing that. I'm trying to go into this film as I discuss it with you. I didn't think of this until I actually got to the end of the I watched the movie, like, 15 minutes ago, if it feels like I'm talking like my head was put in a blender. Um... At the end of the movie, I realized it's kind of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So if I can just ground us in that, because Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, delightful movie. Is it called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I know the book is called one and the movie is called the other. I also know that Ready Player One is based off of a book, a book that came out, I don't know when. I should probably, you know what, this isn't a research podcast, but I'm going to look it up because I think um, timeliness is a huge problem for this movie. Uh, I just googled ready for player. Ready for player one. Come on, come on. You know what I'm asking. Alright. Based on Ernest Cline's bestseller of the same name. Okay, ready player one. Film. I know, you get to, I know. I know, you get to hear me google things. What other podcast do you get? Okay, uh, da, 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 da. Based on the 2011 novel of the same. Oh my god. I'm so mad. I'm so angry. Oh my god, I thought Ready Player One, the book, came out in like 1979, because that is the only way this is a forgivable movie concept. Oh my god, are we immediately taking a nosedive into rage? I can't believe what I just discovered. I thought, and I'm like also piecing this together based on like conversations I've heard my more film-savvy friends have. I thought that Spielberg had owned the rights to this movie for, like, 30 years. And that, like, just, like, it was in development hell. He never had time to make it. He never had the priorities. It's just been... It, the, the book came out in 2011. I'm... Okay, so here's... The 80s were a great... Where they were great. They were a great time for media. I love the 80s, guys. I love them. I love music from the 80s. I love 80s slasher movies. I love the eight. I love the whole 80s movie aesthetic. I, I'm not... I will admit I'm not a big... 80s movie buff in terms of like the classics like I don't care much for the um sorry I don't care too much for the back to the future movies I'm not like super well versed on John Hughes I'm not super excited about John Hughes maybe like maybe in that respect no I don't think being a bigger fan of those movies would have saved this movie for me this the thing about the 80s is that the 80s ended in the late 80s and then there were 90s and there were also 2000s so Let's just start at the beginning of the movie, because we, st we we begin with the song Jump, a great song, being used, in I would argue, in service of evil. Um, the, the toxicity of this movie's anachronistic exists, it's like, it's, it's, it's one of those movies, it's a little bit like Rogue One, in that, like, even before watching the movie... I don't believe it cosmically has a right to exist. Like, its very existence is a toxic... <laughs> oh, God. Sometimes it's really toxic, and sometimes I'm just being, like, a dick. Sometimes I'm just being a fucking... Toxic podcast is anything I want it to mean. I'm sorry, but... So we open in this, like... Oh, God, I'm so... Everything about this world makes me frustrated. Everything about this future is, like, not... Doesn't ring true to me. Like... So, our hero, who is a much less attractive version of me, I don't know how this, I don't know why my, my phone didn't ring for this, but um, the, the less attractive version of me, uh, he is, 
He lives in a, like, a, it's a trailer park, but it's a future trailer park, dude. And the trailers are, like, attached to these great metal rigs so that they can be stacked, like, several trailers high. Like, that's... Uh, fine. So it's a future trailer park. Fine. Um, you can feel that it's Steven Spielberg directing the movie, which makes me so frustrated because he's one of those directors who sometimes he directs a really bad movie and he directs it really well and it's still just a really bad movie so like there's this scene where the the me were me <laughs> wow i wonder if it's like unpackable that i'm because i'm making the joke and i hope that i never have to own, own up to this like this is a really mean thing for me to say but like i'm like who's this ugly version of me but um Maybe there is something to be said, like, a greater comment to be made from the fact that I am projecting myself into this lead character, because, oh, God, because we get into this, so much of this bullshit, like, hero, this is like, you know, that Harry Potter Frodo Baggins shit where, like, like, why is this guy special? Just because the eye is focused on him? I said that already, but... We, he gets up in the morning, and he goes, he climbs down the whole rig. They made the rig. It's not CGI. It's a practical thing. He, like, he goes down a rope. He goes down a second story. He's climbing down the giant thing. It looks beautiful. The camera is moving in a very Spielberg-y way. It's really great. Um, there's a, a Pizza Hut drone, a drone that says Pizza Hut delivers a pizza. Um, and... So as, as you can sort of see into people's windows and the trailers as he's climbing down the rigs, uh, and they're all hooked into this like VR system. They've all got visors and gloves on. And then the most awful voiceover in the world begins, and it does not end. Um, where what is what does he say first? I don't remember what he says first, but he first first he's he gives a like. That's me. He literally gives, like, he doesn't say a that's me, but he gives essentially a that's me. He goes, like, things used to be different. Now they're bad. That was before. And then he lists off this line of, I'm so mad about this dialogue. He goes, then there were the corn syrup droughts, the bandwidth riots, after people stopped trying to fix problems and just started trying to outlive them. That is award-winningly bad dialogue. That makes me so mad. That is right up there with BVSDOJ, the first few lines where it's like there was a time above, a time before. There were perfect things, diamond absolutes, things, you know, things fall, things on earth, and what falls has fallen. God, what a bad line. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's describing with voiceover that, like, the world isn't great. Columbus, Ohio is the fastest growing city on earth because that's where gregarious games was founded that's where halliday founded the uh the oasis i guess he doesn't say the oasis yet but he describes that reality is a bummer that's why halliday was such a hero to all of us we see him he's got this kind of lair in between all these junked cars it's like you know he, he lives in like a trailer park slash like junkyard almost and he lives with his aunt his parents are i think dead yeah they didn't survive the difficult times um and his his little nook, he's got his VR stuff, and he puts it all on. He goes into uh, the Oasis. He says, reality's a bummer. That's why he showed us that we could go somewhere without going anywhere at all. He created the Oasis. So let's stop right here. The, this, so every, everyone's in the Oasis. This is barely more than reality. Like, the, the this is like, it feels like a fucking old dude had an idea and wrote it and then didn't like didn't realize that we already his idea is already outdated like we have all encompassing life sims like we have people who are living most of their life in life sims we have granted we don't have this level of vr technology we don't have one common space where everyone lives sure i guess that's a a tiny step ahead of where we are but the idea of this as a concept like Again, I thought this book was written in the late 70s, early 80s, and that the movie had been in development hell for 30 years because the only way this movie concept works is if it was thought of before the fucking internet because the Oasis is just a fancy internet. We have the internet. Who's, who, and, and the fact, the, the, the goddamn gall of this movie to take, I'm just going to tell you right now, 12 full minutes of voiceover exposition. The first 12 minutes of this movie have voiceover exposition. The first sequence of Saw is 17 minutes long. 
17. That is five more minutes. Do you know what happens in that first sequence of Saw? The lights are off. They, they meet each other. The Dread Pirate Roberts meets the writer of the film. They do the shirt thing. They reach into the toilet. They figure out who the jigsaw killer is. They, so much stuff happens. There's so, and the exposition is done through dialogue. This movie is just a guy telling you, why didn't they fucking give me a pamphlet? If there was going to be this much goddamn homework involved in just understanding the concept of a movie that, by the way, once they explain everything to you, it's just the internet. Ugh. It's just the, it's just a fuck, anyone who has played any video game or been on the internet understands intuitively the concept of the Oasis. Oh, God. So now, he goes in the Oasis, and now everything fucking looks like a computer game, and the movie's like, yeah, well, it's because it's a computer game. So great, now I'm watching someone play a goddamn computer game. I tried, and this isn't gonna... (laughs) This isn't going to, I'm not going to score any cool points with you. And I'm going to try to dial back the anger. But I was uh, trying to like watch every uh, like Batman property recently. I was like watching the Batman animated series. I was like, I'll watch all those. I'll watch the goofy 90s movies, which I still never did actually. I've seen them, but I'd love to rewatch that uh, ye old Batman and Robin. Um, I almost watched playthroughs of the Batman Arkham Asylum video game. Those are, you can find video game playthroughs for a lot of different shit on YouTube. And I tried for 15 to 30 minutes to watch the, like, Batman Arkham Asylum. I can't watch someone play a video game. I, it's, it's just not, I, it doesn't do it for me. Well, I can, you know what? I can watch someone play Roller Coaster Tycoon, but only if they are a creative coaster builder. None of this out and back bullshit. You, you gotta really, because why are you... Why, what do you play? Who plays Roller Coaster Tycoon to run an amusement park? That I've never, every once in a while I'll watch a guy playing Roller Coaster Tycoon and he's like, oh, I got to get some balloon stands. Oh, people love balloons. Build a roller coaster, dude. Build a roller coaster or a log flume. I'm sorry. Where was I? <laughs> so the Oasis, it's, it's visually spectacular. I should tell you right now, everything about the Oasis and everything about all the Oasis scenes is visually spectacular. Um... All of reality is inside the Oasis. Basically, everything is in the Oasis. It's like, it's it's almost, it's kind of Facebook-y. It's a little bit, I'm almost glad and almost not glad I did these back-to-back, uh, Social Network and Ready Player One, because I think they're also like, they're one side of the same coin, in a sense. Um, so his best friend is H, who's this giant, like, half-robot. He's His, like, middle part is a robot. Um, and he's like... He's like a, a muscle character, you know, in like, in like a fighting game, how there's like a, there's like speed characters. And then there's like, he's like a hulking guy. Um, and he is, uh, he's on doom planet when we first see him, which is a great place to go to get coins. So there's every, every you know, the, the voiceover is introducing that, like you get coins, you get power ups, you get magical shit. Everyone can have avatars that they can look like whoever they want. That's me. That's my avatar. His avatar just looks like a guy. Like, is that everyone else? There's like, this movie has such an intense obsession with putting pop culture shit in. Like, I, well, the movie is about pop culture, but like, um, everyone else's avatar is like, you, there's like a Freddy Krueger. There's, you see a Beetlejuice at one point. You see there's Mortal Kombat characters. And it's like, it really, it feels almost like Dada. I know that I say that a lot. I don't know if I say it on this podcast, but like, reference, when a reference, when a, when a deluge of references becomes so overwhelming that it's just like, it de, it just devalues itself. It's like overstimulating, like, it's just like pushing every, it's, it's like mixing all the colors in a paint can, in a water can. Like, it's like, it's, um, uh, there's the, the opening scene in Sandy Wexler, the, um, Adam Sandler movie where he's a Hollywood agent has, I would say like 40 cameos in like five minutes and it gives you cameo fatigue. It's again, it's like Dada. It's like someone putting a pot over your head and hitting the pot with a spoon. A lot of this movie in its interaction with pop culture and its expectation that you are going to be delighted by its interaction with pop culture. A lot of this movie is toxic in that respect. It puts a pot over your head and it bangs it with a fucking spoon. Um, But so his best friend is H 
Um, if, oh, and if you die in the Oasis, you lose all your stuff. There we go. Um, again, again, the voiceover explains this like you've never fucking heard of a video game before. Oh, really? You lose your coins if you die? So there's, there's, um, uh, yeah, there, there's just an oppressive, an oppressive 80s-ness in the whole, the, the whole thing. Uh, the, I, what, I don't, uh, okay. So we, we are getting flashbacks now with the voiceover. Halliday, who is this like godlike creator, he's the, the mastermind behind the Oasis and more Simon Pegg or Morrow rather, Simon Pegg. They released the first Oasis in 2025. Now, again, I get, I, I think this movie gets a little bit less toxic once it's set everything up, but the way that it just sets everything up so badly because I, and I am again horrified to discover that this book was written in 2011, I do not concede that this future could exist from where we are now. When it's 2018 and you release a movie about 2045, 2045 has, like, your future has to be plausibly something that could grow from where we are now, right? Am I an asshole for thinking that? I'm I'm sorry if I am. But this movie, the only way we could get to where we are in the world of the movie is if the last, like, 30 years, if, is if in, like, 1989 everything ended and everything went a different way. Um, there is some stuff from the nineties in this movie. There's a golden eye reference at one point, I believe, but like the, I don't think there's anything from after the two thousands. I don't know if nine 11 happened in <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do I have to mention nine 11 every episode? Oh God. Shit. That is in my sponsorship contract. Who sponsors me? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just don't. I don't buy, whatever, and that's such a nerd, that's such a, I'm such a toxic nerd for having that problem, but, um, the, um, the creator, the, this is all the voice, this is all fucking the Wade, the lead, the lead guy telling you, the creator eventually, Halliday, he dies, and then this is where Steven Spielberg, um, retire, Steven Spielberg retire, um, that's, that's all I have to say on the matter. Steven Spielberg is a great filmmaker who is also an old man, and that shines through. Uh, I am sorry, I don't mean to be this guy, but there's a reason contemporary Rolling Stones releases aren't, like, you remember when the Rolling Stones released, this was, like, not contemporary, but, like, at least a decade ago, they released a new album called, like, The Bigger Bang. This was when I was, like, a teenager and I used to, like, read Rolling Stone or whatever, the magazine. (laughs) Um, but like when a band, I mean, you know, everyone knows this, when a band gets back together after like 20 years after their prime, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not saying older people can't make good music, but like when you, when your brand becomes solidified, when you so clearly have like a peak and you know, Spielberg, he never like he, he hasn't really had a lull. He's been making lots of movies. He made, he made Bridge of Spies. He made BFG. He's, uh, he made the post, right? I just don't think that he really has movies like this in him anymore. I think a lot of the problems with this movie, not just the fact that the subject matter fucking sucks, that the concept sucks, that the dialogue sucks, that the movie sucks, it's a bad movie through and through. I think you see that a guy made this movie who was interacting with stuff that was out of his generational league. I'm sorry. That's all I got to say on the matter. That's not all I have to say on the matter. I'm going to talk for another like fucking 40 minutes. Um, but so what I'm getting at is Halliday dies and then it cuts to him in the coffin and this fucking, you get the ubiquitous organ sound, the which is unforgivable. That, I'm sorry if you don't feel that way, I, that is an insane thing for a filmmaker to do in 2018. Like, I, I can't even believe it. And so then uh, it turns out, and I don't think this redeems that sound cue at all. I don't believe that the universe uh, makes this a bad, not a bad film choice. It turns out you're watching a little short film that Halliday made about his death beforehand. So he goes, he sits up in his coffin, and Halliday is supposed to be like um, uh, uh, a genius to the detriment of his social skills. Yeah, there, there that's how I'll say it. Um, so he he like talks kind of like 
he has kind of a stilted speech pattern. He's like, oh, yes, you there. Hello. If you're looking at this, it means that I must be dead. And he basically explains that he's put um, a bunch of, he's put an Easter egg in his game. He put an Easter egg in his game. You have, in order to find, if you find the Easter egg, you get all of his stock in the company, which is half a trillion dollars. You own the Oasis, so you completely control the entire Oasis, which is, the Oasis has essentially superseded the real world. So it's like being the master of reality. And um, in, in order to get this Easter egg, you have to do three challenges and find three keys and get them from his avatar, who's, um, what's his avatar named? Anorak the something. Um, so these are the stakes is essentially the entire world revolves around the Oasis and everyone from like the low-key individual, they call them gunters, egg hunters, to these like highly skilled corporations who like hire essentially like elite, uh, almost armies of game players, everyone starts going after the Easter egg. And um, an evil corporation is quickly established called IOI. They hire people in the in these droves who are called sixers because they're just referred to as numbers they're kind of like stormtroopers they're they're red shirts they're these nameless soldiers um the oasis economy is so great and toxic that there are things called loyalty centers essentially like virtual debtors prisons where you've borrowed so much against your own credit that they imprison you in a cell where you're forced to virtually I'll, I'll get to this later but but it's really dumb it's incredibly dumb and so oh also i'll say it the jokes aren't funny in this movie um the head of ioi is a guy named nolan sorrento he's kind of he's the villain in the movie um and uh big corporations like like ioi have assembled essentially these gigantic rooms full of Halliday scholars whose job it is to pour over pop culture from the 80s and, like, all the pop culture that Halliday loved, which I just, it's just, ugh, 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 ugh. And there's something about it that just, like, it almost reminds me of Pixels, too, is it's that, like, it's that, like, that, that, um, that, like, male nerd fantasy about all the stuff that you wasted your life on turning out to be super important. And I'm not saying that it's not, I'm not saying you can't tell a few stories like that, but it's one of those things where I've just seen it so many times. That's the other reason why this feels like it has to be a movie from the 80s is it just it just has that, like, that shitty guy who's the protagonist for no reason. He doesn't seem remarkable. The, the love story is just sort of like, there, there's the girl, she's there. They, they get together because there they are, and he's the hero because there he is. And I, you know, I... Um, I'm, I read this, uh, I, a, a movie's value is not its responsibility to representation necessarily. It, it, in, in cases, it is. Um, what I mean is that a movie shouldn't have to redefine the male hero narrative in order to fundamentally be a good movie. There are still good movies that have male heroes, obviously. But it's 2018, and it just feels like in terms of basic storytelling... A movie has a responsibility to the craft of storytelling to grow a little bit, to to put someone in front of me and tell me why they matter. And this movie just doesn't, it just doesn't do that. Like, it, it, it just, it just has this same thing of like, hey there, schlubbo, you're my guy. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that was an entire coherent thought, but let's, finally the exposition is done. Oh, I need to tell... I, sorry, I can't... I'm so mad about the exposition. The first challenge is a race that is so difficult that no one's ever beaten the race. It's been five years, and we open on the race. So the guy... Our, our hero, our, in a, our unremarkable hero, he rides around in a DeLorean. Great. He's got a DeLorean, and H has this big monster truck, and... We watch the first action sequence, which is all of these people, the Egg Hunters and the Sixers, they're all still going on this race over and over again. It's this impossible race through New York City. And this kind of this race kind of comes from the Michael Bay school of what I'm going to call CGI-aria. Um, a lot of people have these problems with Marvel movies. I don't. I will... Uh, what's the word? Stan? I knew the word. I just felt a little hesitant about using it out loud. But I will. I will stan for the Marvel movies. I don't think the CGI is uh, CGI-aria. I think that this is a much more like Michael Bay Transformers movies style of, of just like 
uh, rocks and metal and shit flying in front of your face. And you're like, I, un- I am aware that everything is moving quickly and that thrills and chills are occurring. However, I myself am not reaping the benefits of said thrills or chills. The race, they go, they go all around New York. And then at the end, like uh, King Kong sort of stands in the center of the road and he destroys every car that comes by. And um, no one's ever made it past King Kong. Uh, over the course of the race, Wade sees uh, a, a girl on a motorcycle who he identifies as Artemis, the notorious Sixer Fixer. And in a movie with so much exposition, they never told us what a Sixer Fixer is. They just say it. They, I don't even think they explain it later. Fine. But he's already a big fan of hers. He's watched all her tri- Twitch streams. He's watched all her playthroughs. I hate... Ugh. Ugh. And, I, and I, I also... I don't know how being a gamer would make me feel about this movie. I like to think... Not any better, because I think that, oh, God, this movie has so many issues for me. But um, he he kind of skids out. He, he doesn't get his car totaled, but he stops before King Kong, and he sees that Artemis is about to drive her motorcycle, like, right into the King Kong trap and destroy her bike and, uh, you know, lose all her coins. And so he saves her, and she, like... It's one of those uh, one of those classic movie things where the guy saves the girl and they end up with like one of them lying on top of the other one. And so she gets up and she's like, oh, my bike is totaled. And he's like, my friend H can fix your bike. So they go to H's workshop, which is in the did it's in the Oasis. And I don't I'm trying to think if I would have this problem if I were watching like The Matrix. But I started to get real hung up on like. I thought everything costs coins. Like, I thought this is a digital world, and, like, if your bike needs fixing... Like, what do you mean fix? Is he, like, gonna take a digital hammer and some digital screws? I'm... Again, maybe I'm being a stickler, but but I don't understand. Um, she... Oh, she... she Art, So Artemis is immediately critical of him. She's like, oh, so are you clanned up? Which apparently, like... Most people looking for the eggs are in, like, little groups, or worse yet, they're employed by IOI. Um, and they have this conversation about how IOI wants to take over the world, and the idea of being clanned up. And she, uh, she's kind of like, I'm cooler than you, fuck off. And she clearly takes off her helmet and disappears. And um, then Wade hears his aunt yelling in his uh, earphones, and he's like, oh no, I'm in trouble, because he stole his aunt's gloves or whatever. He takes off his helmet... And now he's, um, now he's my avatar once more. Um, and he runs back from his little hidey hole to his trailer where there's a classic, like, oh, like shitty aunt's boyfriend who like hits him and the aunt, they're both like, God, this movie is so unkind to these characters. They're just like there to show you that like the real world sucks and that he has an unhappy family life. But, um, again, I don't care. I don't care about him. I don't care about his family. You spent all the time you should have spent making me care about him as a character, making, like, giving me a, a, a book to read about the internet. Um, so now there's some more, um, VO. My parents gave me a name. My dad gave me a name. He wanted it to sound like a superhero, Wade Watts. It's, uh, which, yeah, it sounds like Wade Wilson. This movie is so... This movie has so many weird fucking similarities to Deadpool. <sighs> but then they introduce the Halliday Journals. So Halliday, when he started the Easter egg contest, he also opened up like a giant library that contained reproductions of all his memories. Um, but the memories are... Um, it, like, it, it used... To, this also makes no sense. It used to be very popular, the Library of Memories, but now Wade is, like, the only one who goes there, and he goes to this one um, moment of Halliday's life that he has been obsessed with that he's sure has some sort of significance, and he's watching over the tape. It's Halliday and Morrow kind of arguing about the future of the Oasis and how eventually, like, there have to be rules and things have to move forward, and Halliday says, I don't want things to move forward. What if they moved backwards? What if they could move backwards really, really fast? Just pedal to the metal. And are you telling me nobody caught that? That people went into his memories and poured over them. Scholars, teams of, like, a a massive company hired hundreds of people to, to research his life. And the first 
challenge is a race that no one knows how to beat. And there's a line of speech in his memories where he says, why don't you go backwards really fast, pedal to the metal, and no one caught it. No one caught it before this miraculous, beautiful, special boy. Fucking hell. God, that's toxic. That makes me so mad. So now he's... It, it also, again, it really reminds me of the Goblet of Fire, how just like Harry Potter cannot stop tripping upwards in this fucking contest. So now he realizes in the race, he's got to go backwards. He goes back into the race. He goes backwards. He um, ends up on this like backwards track where he can see the whole race occurring above him and he can see King Kong unable to attack him. And he, he wins the race. So he, um, he gets the key. Um, and this, I also like feel as though real life gamers must have been kind of annoyed with how easy these challenges are. Like the idea is that this is an impossible game that everyone in the world has been obsessed with for years. And this race, the, the answer to the race is go backwards. Fine. He gets his key. Now he's, um, he's a celebrity, right? Um, he gets his name up on the big board and, um, it attracts the attention of Nolan Sorrento, uh, who wants to fill the Oasis with ads. Oh, God forbid. God forbid that shared online community have ads in it. Um, once, uh, once person, oh, well, God, I'm, I'm getting ahead of my, oh, no, I'm not. His, I'm, I should have told you that, um, Artemis, she's the goddess of the hunt. That's why she's named Artemis. And, um, Wade's avatar's name is Percival, the knight who found the Holy Grail all by himself. That's the significance of it. So now Percival's name is on the board. He gets all this money and he goes into like a, like a power-up store. And, um, there's a lot of Chekhov's stuff. He goes like, that's the cataclysm bomb. It kills everything in the Oasis, including the, um, the user. That's this other thing. I'm going to use that later as well. Um, he buys himself this fancy new VR suit. It's like a full body suit so he can like feel everything. Um, and Nolan Sorrento is not a true gamer. You can tell this because he's got this giant like fancy VR chair, but on the side of the chair, a little piece of paper, he has his password written which, uh, that's another piece of dumb, ham-fisted exposition movie. That's bad. Um, so he goes into, uh, this, like, evil, uh, realm of the Oasis, where he meets a bounty hunter, played by none other than T.J. Miller, who has now appeared twice, and I think not insignificantly, in my podcast about toxic media. Um... I, well, I don't know if that maybe is a weird moral thing to say about the movies in which he appears. Uh, I have said this, I, I said this the last time, maybe I'll say it a, a little more in the, in the language that it deserves to be said, and I think T.J. Miller is a rapist. I think he probably shouldn't, probably, I think he shouldn't be in movies. It makes me unhappy when I, when I discover that he is still in a movie that was released, what, five months ago, that this is, that... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the, the guy to be making amazing statements about this. I just like, fuck, it just is infuriating to see him in movies. He's, he's the villain. He's, he's like a secondary villain of this movie named Iraq. He's like a bounty hunter. He's also the comic relief, which is a really nightmarish element. Like he's cast in all these movies as the fucking comic relief because he's a comedian. Um, but uh, he's he's tasked with um, killing uh, Percival's avatar. So now um, Percival has told his friend H how to beat the race. He told Artemis how to beat the race. H blabbed to two other people, um, the two other characters who's fucking, uh, whose names I might not ever be able to come up with. But he's a celebrity now. Everyone wants to get a selfie with him. Everyone wants to hang out with him. But uh, he only wants to hang out with Artemis, obviously. So he and Artemis go back into Halliday's memories. I don't like the memories. I don't like Halliday. I don't like this. It's it's exactly what I was saying earlier about the the nerd thing about like uh, you're you're special for loving the '80s and like Halliday is such a like he's like an algorithm of the '80s. I'll I'll get to that later. There's oh I'll get to everything later. But they go into his memories and they find out they there's this other memory there's really no like seeking process in the memories they just already knew where to go 
for some reason. The movie doesn't really satisfactorily explain it. But Halliday goes on this date with uh, Karen Underwood, Moro, who, Karen Underwood, who later becomes Morrow's wife. And he goes on one date with her, and they watch a movie, and he like doesn't try to kiss her. But he loved her, and he never told her how he felt. Um, and uh, so Artemis is like, "Hey, meet me at this club tomorrow." And um, Percival's like, "Ooh, maybe she asked me out." So he go he's in front of his mirror, and he's trying on different clothes. He um, he he decides on Buckaroo Banzai. He goes to the club to meet Artemis. And, um, so now we're at the creepy dance scene. Um, they're kind of, like, floating. <sighs> There's this big floating dance floor in the club. And there, she starts dancing with him in a way that is just, like, her, like, feeling his body. Um, and it's, a, it's again, it's one of those 80s things of, like... <sighs> The, the she there's just a very like I exist for you attitude about this scene he's like why don't we meet up in the real world and she's like you'd be disappointed I don't look like this this isn't real my real body there's no like well he doesn't look like that either that's not his real body it's just all about like how you the main guy would feel about me the thing that reflects off of you and like it's just it's just shitty movie dumb it's shitty movie work it's 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 shitty old-fashioned shitty movie work I'm sorry and then she feels all over his butt. She's like, oh, are you wearing a suit? So you, can you feel everything that I'm doing? She, like, feels his crotch. She's, there's, it's weird. It's a weird thing. Um, and then he goes, my name's Wade. And she's like, what? Don't tell me your real name. And he goes, I'm in love with you. Which, again, what? Why is he in love with her? Is it just, there's not, there's not, this movie doesn't do any of the work. It should, it's a very shiny hammer that hits you in the head over and over. It doesn't do any, and then it turns around and tells you that it's in love with someone. Fuck you, movie. So then these Sixers all come in and, and, uh, TJ Miller's avatar, who's this evil skull guy, he comes in. There's a big sort of a laser gunfight, um, and it sucks. It sucks. A bunch of shit happens, and, um... He, Percival uses this Zemeckis cube, which turns everything back in time one minute, and he and Artemis escape from the uh, Sixers and the, the, the bounty hunter, and then he again, he's like, I'm in love with you, and she's like, no, this is, and also, I've also, I've seen this archetype so many millions of times, she's like, you only see what I want you to see, you only know what I want you to know, I, it's, it's just like, fucking... And again, it seems, it kind of, again, it seems to have that Deadpool problem where like, it's like, hey, I'm a movie from the 80s, so I'm not going to do anything new. I'm just going to be a movie from the 80s. Ugh. So she, um, she's like, my dad died in a loyalty center. This is all a game to you. You don't live in the real world. This is real for me. I'm trying to stop IOI. She runs off. None of the emotions matter. Nothing matters. It doesn't matter. But now he said his real name. So the um, bounty hunter, IROC, has his real identity. Nolan Sorrento contacts him and is like, hey, I want you to join me, IOI. He gives, I want you to join me at IOI. I'm going to give you this huge starting salary. Um, and he's got his idiot room full of 80s fans in his ear feeding him like John Hughes facts and stuff so that he can keep up the patter with Wade. And Wade is like testing him by like, giving him the wrong school names from John Hughes movies. And he's like, that's not the name of the school from the John Hughes movie. Come on, man. When I like to relax, I crack open a Mr. Pibb or a Tab Cola. I play Robotron and I listen to Duran Duran. I just, it just really, it really feels like someone put a bunch of 80s names in a bag and shook them around. Like for a movie about a guy who loves the 80s so much, it, it's, it's a disgusting disservice to true fandom that's what i'll fucking say <laughs> i gotta start moving through this movie faster it's making me mad i'm not sure that i'm being funny <laughs> um so wade is like listen i think you're full of shit and nolan's like i'm gonna fucking kill you i'm gonna blow up your goddamn trailer park and he's wade's like oh no i'm not even in my trailer park he's in his nook he gets out of his nook and he's running to the trailer park and we see his trailer explode. His family that we don't care about is dead now. Oh my God. That thing that ha that thing happened and none of it mattered to me. 
So then he is not, he's like given, he's put in a sleeper hold by a guy who we assume is a villain, but he wakes up and he is in front of the real life Artemis, whose name is Samantha. And she's like, sorry, my people can be rough. It's never really explained who her people are. She goes, welcome to the rebellion. It's some sort of like resistance camp. Again, for a movie that wasted so much of our time with exposition, she does not explain, is she the leader of the rebellion? Because she refers to them as my guys. But she's like a teenager. She's like the same age as Wade. They're supposed to be kids. <sighs> um, and she, you know how she said, like, you don't know what my face looks like. She is a very beautiful woman with a red splotch on her face. Um, and I want to be very careful about how I talk about this, but I am... I just think it is insane movie. I think it is an insanely toxic thing for a movie to do to build up this, to, to, to have as a plot point, this character who's like, Oh, my face. And it's, and you're just a, you're just a movie, pretty actor with makeup on your, and I, and I, I'm not trying to pretend it wouldn't be hard to go through life with a big mark on your face. I'm maybe I'll apologize for this next episode, but like, it feels to me like in Avengers how uh, Avengers Age of Ultron when Natasha's like, oh yeah, they um, when I was uh, in the, uh, the whatever it is, when she's like being made into an assassin, they like made it so that she can't have children. I'm a monster too. Like it must be, it must feel bad. It must be hard. But for the movie to so cynically use it as a plot point and have it be like, oh, I, he, he goes, just for the record, I'm not disappointed. You said I'd be disappointed when I met you in real life. And she goes, I've lived with it all my life. You don't have to pretend. It's insane what this movie demands credit for. Fuck the fucking, ugh. I'm sorry. I, I This is really, maybe I won't be able to post this. Um, so now all is forgiven. You know how she like yelled at him and she was like, you don't care about anything. All is forgiven. They don't, it doesn't matter. They almost kiss. And suddenly she realizes, oh my God, Halliday, the leap never taken was that he never kissed a girl. Ugh, ugh, this is such fucking, hey, again, hey, oh, you're scared of girls? That makes you really deep. You're really special for being afraid of to kiss a girl. Like this whole movie is about, it could be about you, man. So... They go into, they go back into Halliday's memories to find out what movie he watched on his date with Karen Underwood. It was The Shining. So now they go to the Overlook Hotel. And at this point, I worried briefly that the movie was winning me over. And it did not. Um, they're walking around the Overlook Hotel. They run from the Blood River. The elevator opens. The blood washes them down the hall. H ends up in room 237. The naked woman, she disintegrates into the old woman who disintegrates into the zombie woman. They experience all the spooky stuff in the movie. He's running from an axe, a guy with an axe. He's running through the hedge maze. Um, it's all filler. It's all bullshit. I, 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 someone maybe was excited to see it. I was not. Um, they get to this part of the Overlook where there's a bunch of zombies dancing. And it kind of mirrors the club, the floating dance in the club. And they realize, they see Karen Underwood being forced to dance with a zombie, like a levitating zombie. And um, Artemis, she goes for it for this challenge to get this key. Um, you have to jump from zombie to zombie to zombie and sort of dance with each of them until you get to Karen. Um, and, oh yeah, look! It turns out the woman was always the key! <laughs> she was the prize! Great! So, um... Uh, she gets the key, um, Karen turns into a key, great, and IOI storms the Rebellion bunker, uh, so she is pulled out of the VR world right after she gets the key, and she, uh, is like, Wade, you're more important than I am, even though I just got the key, you're the hero, so you have to run, and I'm gonna sacrifice myself. Wade escapes, and she is sent to a loyalty center, it's where her dad was killed, um, he, uh, Wade kind of runs out the back door of the Rebellion encampment and runs into H, who is actually Helen. H is played by Lena Way, which is really cool. Um, and the other two members of the team are these two dudes. Who I, one of them is a little kid. And I don't, again, I don't really remember their names. They're not, they're, 
So they all get into a van, and now they're driving around in a van that has access to the Oasis. Like, they can all kind of clock into the Oasis from the van. Um, it's trying... This part, again, wants to be very 80s. It's not doing a good job. But the loyalty center, and here we are. Another thing that really bugs me is... Um, the loyalty center is kind of like a, it's like almost like a matrix pod where they sap your life. Like they put you in and they force you to do virtual manual labor. I'm sorry. What are, what are we talking about? What virtual, like it's a virtual world. It's virtual. Why are you working people to, they're like, they're like, pick that up, carry that over there. This is insane. This doesn't make any sense. I, I'm, I'm just, this whole, this whole episode is me going, fine, fine. I didn't think of any good bits. There aren't any good guests. There's no Michael Shannon here to, to give me a pep talk. There's no jigsaw to hold me to a standard of quality. <laughs> really, I should have planned what I was going to do. <laughs> this episode doesn't, this episode isn't sewing anything together. This is, this baseball is going to be a disaster. There's going to be little, have you ever seen the inside of a baseball? It's a nightmare. Okay, um, so now, oh, so now eight things started happening at the same time, and if you don't mind, I'm going to try not to keep such great track of it. The uh, Nolan's Avatar in the Oasis is this like big. He kind of looks like Colossus in Deadpool. This movie looks so it's so weird. God, I almost watched Deadpool instead of this, but I almost watched Deadpool too. Rather, I found a a totally legal way to watch Deadpool 2. But I was like, I don't want to watch Deadpool 2. That's going to be toxic. I'll watch Ready Player One. Little did I know. Um, that this orb... Oh, I didn't even mention the orb at the beginning. There was so much Chekhov's... There was so much of Chekhov's shit being thrown out. The orb is an artifact. It was given to Nolan in an early scene of the movie by IROC. At this point, they activate the orb to sort of shield this area of the Oasis where the final task is... The final task is there's just this TV with an Atari and a million Sixers are lined up in front of it trying to figure out which game to play on the Atari um, to unlock the key. They keep selecting the wrong games and the ice beneath them keeps breaking. The orb is activated to do the force field to protect them for as long as they need. Uh, yeah, I think I said that. Um, and eventually it's kind of, it's not in effect for very long because Samantha is uh guided out of her where where am i oh they they trick um nolan into thinking that he is back in the real world when he's still in the oasis and uh they appear in his office and get the codes to release samantha from her loyalty cube um and then literally they don't explain like at first how they do this they go into another room and then they all have this conversation where they go Hey, Nolan still thinks he's in the Oasis, but we hacked into his rig and we made him think one thing when in fact the other is that this movie's addicted to bad exposition. It is a disease. But um, Samantha runs upstairs to Nolan's rig. Nolan like realizes in, in the Oasis, he goes somewhere else. Everyone's playing musical chairs. Samantha takes down the orb force field. Um, Lena Waithe gets into her Iron Giant, which was introduced early on in the movie. I didn't even mention it. It was one of those toxic references that i don't care about so now the iron giant's walking around stomping things um percival gives this um rousing speech summoning basically all of the inhabitants of the oasis all of their shitty pop culture avatars i believe i saw chun li in there somewhere um they are all motivated to wage war on this evil city where the um ioi forces are trying to beat the atari challenge before it's too late um, they rejoice. They, is, there's a big war scene, like kind of a Lord of the Rings style war scene while we're not going to take it plays. Um, meanwhile, uh, I haven't even mentioned this character before because it's been, so on, in the virtual side, there's the bounty hunter character. And on the real world side, Nolan has this like enforcer woman who she's the one who orchestrated the explosion at the trailer park. She's like going around trying to kill these people in the real world. And as she's driving around trying to find Lena Waite's van, she sees everyone standing out on the street, punching and kicking. And like, you know, it's supposed to be like, oh, everyone's united in solidarity, trying to save the Oasis from IOI. Um... Okay, uh, Nolan gets into a Mechagodzilla, and they must have spent so much money on, like, music licensing, because 
you know, they play like the, the Shining theme. They play the Godzilla theme. Mechagodzilla is, is destroying everything um, eventually. Oh, at this point, I just want to pause for a second. <clears throat> this has been a little bit of a chippy episode. So if we could just, God, uh, if I could just for one second take you into a literature corner. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about Ulysses and about encyclopedic fiction. So I'm, I'm not a, a Ulysses scholar, uh, but what I, what I think is really cool about Ulysses is how um, it feels in many ways and consciously in many ways, like it is a tour through Western canonical literature. There is even, in fact, one chapter of the book that purports to go all the way from, like, the inception of language through Old English, through Ch Chaucer, Shakespearean English. Like, Joyce writes in, in every prevailing Western literary style from, like, the beginning of, of what he considers to be literature through his contemporaries. Um, the book contains everything. It contains Shakespeare, it contains the 1800s, it contains, you know, it contains French literature, it contains, uh, uh, you know, British and, and even American literature, in, in my opinion. It is um, what some people call encyclopedic fiction, like a book that sort of contains everything before it. I don't, I'm not even going to touch this, but I argue that Infinite Jest also kind of contains everything. There are these books that Excuse me, I, I'm, I would just be repeating myself at this point. Um, I think that encyclopedic fiction is really, really cool, and I love it. I, I think that Community, in a sense, the, um, the NBC sitcom, is um, uh, encyclopedic sitcom work, in some sense. It is a form of encyclopedic fiction uh, in the way that it handles other styles. I think that what it does is beyond parody. I think that it is creating a new language of, a new language with um, cliches, with motifs, you know, like using motifs like letters to create motif words. Um, Ready Player One does not do that. Ready Player One is a toxic breed of encyclopedic fiction that, again, I think does a disservice to the concept of fandom. I think this is a big, gross blah fest where you know fucking for all i know nolan steven spielberg is fucking nolan sorrento i don't think he really cared that much for mecha godzilla i don't think that he i don't think steven spielberg opens a can of fucking tab and plays robotron at the end of the day i think this movie should not have been made i think this is a bad concept i think <laughs> oh wow now we're having fun so what I, whatever, I mean, this has been Literature Corner. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they eventually, through a thrilling CGI area action and bravery sequence, they take down Nolan, they destroy his avatar, they destroy Godzilla, he becomes a bunch of coins. The Iron Giant gets swallowed by magma, he gives the thumbs up like he's in Terminator, or rather she, I guess, because it's, you know, because we've discovered that H is Lena Waithe. Um, the... It turns out the Sixer who had been, they thought that they find, finally found the game uh, to play. It was Adventure. Adventure is the one Atari game where the ice doesn't crack under the Sixer. But finally the Sixer wins Adventure and he falls through the ice. And Percival realizes it's not about winning the game. It's just about running around in a dark room. Suddenly Nolan appears. Um, I guess he respawned. He threatens to blow up the entire Oasis. He's got that Chekhov's blow up the entire Oasis thing. Um... They have a fist fight. They literally punch and kick each other, which is ridiculous. Percival kicks him in the junk. Sorrento, finally, he sets off the bomb. It destroys everything in the Oasis. Just everything gets destroyed. And there are 30 minutes of movie left. This movie is two hours and 20 minutes long. If you wanted to make an 80s movie, make it an hour 40, dude. This is insane. Everything's been destroyed. The Oasis is completely empty. Suddenly Percival respawns. Turns out he's got an extra life. I didn't even tell you this earlier because it doesn't... Because it doesn't fucking... Because nothing fucking matters. 
But there's a guy in the library of memories named the curator. He's this little robot, not a little robot. He's like a, a robot butler figure. He's like, oh my, I, I don't like you very much at all. He eventually, he bets Percival that Karen Underwood's name doesn't, has to appear more than once in all of Halliday's memories because she's such a big part of Halliday and Morrow's lives. It turns out her name only appears once. So the curator gives him a, a quarter and it turns out that the quarter is actually an extra life. A concept that henceforth has not been discussed, introduced. It's just, it's just a fucking, there it is. Nothing matters. We have stolen two hours of your time, much in the same way that I as a podcaster have stolen infinite amounts of your time. And um, so he, he's, he goes, oh my God, uh, the thing about adventure is it contains the first Easter egg ever. It wasn't about beating the game. The way you get to the Easter egg is you just wander around in this dark room for a while. You get this little dot. You take it back to the main screen and it shows you the creator's name. The creator's name doesn't appear in the credits of the game, but he put the he put his name in the game as the first ever Easter egg in a game, which is nice. It's fine. Um, <laughs> then I went to the bathroom. I don't know what happened. I went to the bathroom. It was, uh, you want to know how the bathroom was? It was a very satisfactory bathroom experience. I washed my hands, and it was more interesting than the movie. Uh, when I got back, uh, Nolan, he's commandeered a van. He's going to go kill his teenage foes. Um, then the the avatar, the, the creator avatar appears, and he's trying to give Wade the key. And they're in the van, and the IOI uh, jeeps are knocking the van and no one like or, or rather wait he like can't get to the key because his avatar is losing balance which is so fucking stupid he puts the three keys in the block there we watch the whole playthrough he opens the block the creator avatar appears before him with a pen to sign away the ownership of the oasis and um he percival realizes that he it's a test and that um the biggest mistake Halliday ever made was forcing Morrow out of the company. The whole point of the Oasis is that it like belongs to everyone. It should be inclusive. It shouldn't be one person's thing. And he goes, I'm not doing this. This isn't right. And the Avatar is like, fine. Like, I just had to be sure. And then the Percival Avatar is brought to a sort of real, it's not sort of, it is a real life child's room. And we see the real life old Halliday and real life Halliday as a child. And, um... <clears throat> He goes, hey, it's me, Halliday. This is the end of the movie, but we're going to spend a bunch of time talking to each other for no reason. This button turns off the entire oasis. This button erases everything. Don't do it accidentally. Um, he says, oh, he goes, as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's also the only place you can get a decent meal. That's not... It does feel kind of... Because I think there are a few um, Spielberg movies where, like, they're kind of having a ham-fisted, like it's a it's a lesson the whole time. And here's what your relationship with reality needs to be. That never really, it never really lands. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Um, then he is given the egg. Uh, Halliday gives him this big glowing egg. And it's just, it's just a big glowing egg, really. I don't even really remember like what, it, yeah, it's just literally just a big shiny egg. Nolan opens the door to the van and points a gun at Wade. I would be, I would love nothing more. This movie would have completely redeemed himself, itself if Wade died, if Nolan just killed Wade. Um, but suddenly the cops show up, which is a really weird, like, I guess, yeah, obviously cops exist in this world, but you're kind of like, wait, the cops? What? Cops? The cops take Nolan away. Um... Halliday, he, you know, Wade goes back in the VR world and Halliday's like, thanks for playing my game. And Wade, he takes off his visor. He's sobbing. He's had a religious experience. The doors to the van open again and Morrow appears, Simon Pegg in old age makeup. And um, he's like, come with me. Uh, you're Charlie and now you own the chocolate factory. And he goes, wait, I got to do one thing. And he closes the doors and he turns to Samantha and he goes, I'm not like Halliday. And then he kisses her and he's like still wearing his like suit and he's still wearing, he's still like hooked into everything. And it just feels so grossly symbolic as like, he's still wearing all his video game stuff. Like his, he, he matters because of who he is in the video game. That reflected importance. Ugh. But, um... The door, it's actually kind of a funny bit. 
at the end of the movie, it does get a little fun and like children's movie and cartoony. Like there's a little bit of slapstick when they put Nolan in the cop car with the like evil enforcer lady. They kind of have a like, oh, you, this is all your fault. And um, the doors to the van keep opening. And each time there's like a whole different set of people standing outside the van. Um, so it turns, oh, and at the end, it turns out that the curator, that little, the robot in the library who gave him the extra life, that was Moro. Um, the friends, H, uh, the other two dudes, um, Artemis and Wade, they all like take over the Oasis as a, as partners with Moro. They ban loyalty centers and Hey, they close the Oasis two days a week because, uh, you do have to live in the real world. And then the last shot is, um, Wade and Samantha in a chair and she's like sitting on his lap and they're just like making out. And then... Another 80s song plays, and that's the end of the movie. Um, <clears throat> and it just... Uh, God. I honestly, like... <laughs> well, obviously, not to be immature about this, but Ready Player Dumb, Ready Player Not Fun. Um, I really... I didn't think of any uh, bits. I didn't... <laughs> this is a terrible... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hang on. When Alejandro Collini created Toxic Podcast, it wasn't about the ending. It was about the journey. So, why, why are we being so obsessed with creating like a coherent, improvised, hilarious sketch at the end that doesn't get too meta? When instead what we should be doing is just enjoying the sheer, like, that's, yeah, maybe that's... <laughs> Maybe what we should be doing is finding a, a, a power, a, 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 a way to harness my anger at this movie and see if we can, like, power a generator. You know when you, like, put a little plug into a potato and a light bulb, it, like, runs a light bulb? Yeah, so in any case, um, let me know if I should do with Mice and Men. Uh, Jesus, Jesus. God, that movie bummed me out so much. <sighs> All right, listen, uh, take, take care of yourselves, guys. What a long episode. Oh, man.